Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. John 16, 23, 24. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He said, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then turn with me uh, back up a couple chapters to John 14. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Praise the Lord for those promises. You know, I always thought both of these passages of Scripture were talking about prayer, but I since learned that one of them is not talking about prayer. And uh, in John 14, 13, Jesus said, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So this is not uh, talking about prayer. This is talking about making demands. Now, how do I know that? Because I looked up ask in the Greek concordance, and it's also translated demand. So we could read the passage of Scripture instead of saying, uh, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, we'll say, and whatever you demand in my name, that I will do. Whatever you demand, that changes the meaning of it. It tells me that that's not prayer anymore. Uh, it can't be prayer because we don't demand anything from the Father. We request things from Him and we do it respectfully. Uh, he's talking about demanding the devil to hate, take his hands off of people, and especially you. How many knows you have more authority in your life than you have in anybody else's life? You can demand things of yourself more than you can demand things of your husband, Miss Shannon. Or, or you know, uh, your wife, Patty Way. <laughs> I wouldn't advise you to demand anything from her, buddy. You'd be in trouble. But there's a big difference between demanding and asking. Uh, but when it comes to the devil... The believer isn't supposed to ask him for anything. We have authority over the devil, and we should be demanding him to do things. Take your hands off of me. Take your hands off of my children. And uh, John 16, 23 through 24 is talking about prayer because he said, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Jesus is saying that to his disciples. In that day you shall ask me nothing. What day? 
after he was crucified, buried, descended into hell, defeated the enemy, stripped him of all his authority, took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and he rose again victoriously, and he obtained and purchased redemption for all of mankind, went into the heavenly holy of holies, presented his blood on the altar, God accepted it, and we were saved, hallelujah. So that day is what he's talking about. After that day, after that's done, you will ask of me nothing. Amen? So we don't ask, or, or his disciples don't ask Jesus anymore. Uh, up until that time, they asked him for everything. They uh, asked him all kinds of questions and things. He says, no more. Now you won't be asking me anything. Uh, in prayer, you'll ask the Father, but you'll ask him in my name or by the authority of my name. By the authority of everything I just described, all the things that he did for us, that gave Jesus authority, and he gave that authority to us. And he says, you go to my Father in the name or in my authority and request things, and he will do it for you. But when you're demanding things from the devil, he said, I will do it for you. There's a difference there. One is talking about prayer. Uh, and requesting things from the Father in the name of and by the authority of Jesus Christ. And the other one is demanding things by the authority that Jesus conferred upon the church. He gave us authority over the enemy. Amen? In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says to his disciples, Afterwards, as Jesus ascended into heaven, now he, he was raised from the dead. He went and presented himself. He went... He went to hell, was raised from the dead, went and presented himself before the Father in the Holy of Holies, uh, presented his blood as a sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind. And then he come back down and had a post-resurrection ministry of 40 days here on the earth where he spent time with his disciples and showed himself to all kinds of people as a witness. And then he's telling them he's getting ready to ascend in heaven where he'll be seated at the right hand of the Father where he's at right now making intercession for us and standing in for us at the right hand of the Father. And just before he did that, he says, Afterwards, as Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Uh, another word can be translated power is authority. All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's got authority over everything. And then he says, go ye, therefore. In other words, I'm conferring this authority on you. Now you go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the, of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now we have that authority. Jesus conferred that authority upon the church, but we have it only in his name. We have to use his name because that's, that, uh, that name is, is all the authority in heaven and in earth. And he's given us permission to use it. So after he was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, the power structure changed. In other words, he authorized the church to exercise this power. But it's all in his name. Remember John 16, 24, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. How's your joy going to be made full? When you receive what you ask for. 
When you ask in prayer in the name of Jesus and you receive it, you're going to feel a little joy. Amen. And he wants our joy to be full. So in John 14, Jesus said, I will do it. In John 16, he said, if we ask the Father in his name, the Father will do it. So there's a difference. One ask is using the authority to make demands, and the other ask is being used to make requests in prayer to the Father. But the name of Jesus or the authority of Jesus is used in both scenarios. Let's look at an example of demanding something in Jesus' name. You remember a certain crippled man that was laid at a gate called Beautiful, the entrance of the temple? The Bible says he was laid there daily in Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at that account, and I'm going to give you an example of what it means to demand something in the name of Jesus. In Acts 3.1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, or three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, the Jewish day started at six in the morning. So this is the ninth hour, it's three o'clock. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. This gentleman was crippled all his life. He was born that way. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. He's laying in a good place. He's laying in a place where people have to pass by him to go into the temple. And usually, you know, Going into the church, it's usually good people, generous people. So he's sitting in a good place, and I'm sure they're giving him alms. They're giving him money. But when Peter and John are about to go into the temple, he asked alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. He probably was expecting to receive a little money, a little help. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. I'm broke, buddy. I don't have any money right now. But such as I have, give I thee. So Peter had something. It wasn't silver or gold. It wasn't money. It wasn't material things. But he had something. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That was not a request. He demanded that he get up in the name of Jesus and walk. He was exercising his authority. Uh, Peter demanded the devil, who put the lameness on the man to begin with, he demanded the one who put it on to take it off. And so... Uh, this is exactly what Jesus taught them before he ascended into heaven. So Peter is just doing what Jesus told them to do. And in John 14, 13, if you remember, it said, And whatever you demand or ask, demand in my name, that I will do, Jesus will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So Jesus made it clear here that he would do whatever was demanded in his name, and did it happen? Verse 7 says, And he, Peter, took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Maybe he had to help the man's faith. I mean, the man's been crippled all his life. He's been laying at that gate daily, 
all his life begging alms. And Peter tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I know for a fact the man knew Jesus Christ. I don't know if he knew him personally, but he heard of him. And I know for a fact that he saw him. But he probably questioned the authority that was in that name. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Well, then he reached his hand down there and helped him up. And, and I, I call it helping his faith because maybe he didn't have enough faith to do it. But anyway, Peter helps him up. And the Bible says immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now, I seen the movie and, you know, when he got up, you could hear those bones crackling and straightening out and all of that stuff. A wonderful sound for somebody who's been crippled all his life. Probably scared him half to death. But then he leaped up and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. First thing he did after he got healed was he went to church. He was grateful for being healed, and he showed it by walking and leaping and praising God. And I guarantee you, he was shouting and clapping his hands a little bit, too. That's what I'd have been doing. Crippled all my life. Now I'm not only walking, I'm jumping and leaping. So I'm praising God. So Jesus personally healed this man. He come down in the spirit and personally healed that man. Maybe he did it through Peter. Maybe when Peter's hand reached down there to touch that man, Jesus was in him. Jesus' hand touched that man. But he come up leaping and, and, and running and praising God and clapping his hands and shouting. Maybe did a little spin or two and, and a dance. I don't know, but he had to be happy. Amen? And then verse 9 says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. So do you think that brought glory to the Father? Absolutely, it brought glory to the Father. Sickness doesn't bring glory to the Father. Hurricanes and natural disasters don't bring glory to the Father. Uh, uh, bad accidents where people get maimed and killed and hurt don't bring glory to the Father. Sickness and disease that kills somebody before their time doesn't bring glory to the Father. That has nothing to do with God. Amen. If nothing else, it glorifies the devil and shows that he's working mightily in the earth. Amen. Well, as a result of that one healing, a massive crowd gathered around to see. They wanted to see the man. They heard. I bet that news rippled through that crowd. And, and it was there was multitudes there uh, because it was a certain time of the year where people went to the temple. Uh, one of the feasts, and, and so a uh, feast of Pentecost, is or the feast of, uh, one of the feasts was coming up. And so they were gathered from all over the world and going to the temple. So there was a big crowd, and I bet that news just rippled through the crowd. And, and people are like that. They're curious, you know. Hey, a man just got healed. He'd been crippled since he was born. He jumped up, and he's running around leaping and praising God, and he went into the church. Let's go see. And so this big crowd gathered. That's like uh, today we say, hey, there's a big fire down on the corner. Shoot, everybody wants to go see the fire. Amen. That's just our nature. So this big crowd gathered just to see that man that was healed. And, and uh, it, it was probably a big commotion. Well, when they did gather together, Peter, being the preacher that he was, took advantage of the opportunity 
and he preached one of the most anointed and powerful sermons in the entire New Testament, save what Jesus preached. And why do I say that? Because that message got 5,000 people saved. 5,000 people got saved as a result of that one man's healing. Hallelujah. I mean, one healing opens the door to 5,000 salvations. Do you think that brought glory to the Father? That's why Jesus said to ask things in my name that the Father may be glorified. God was getting glory today. Hallelujah. And it was all because Peter remembered what Jesus told them in that day. Peter recognized this is the day. We have the authority. So he knew the authority in that name. I wish we knew the authority in that name. I wish that we knew how much authority and power was in that name. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. We do know. We do know. Then why isn't these things happening today? Knowing and believing and exercising them is different. Three different things. It's one thing to know something. It's one thing to believe it. And it's one thing to step out like Peter did and do it. Maybe we ain't doing it enough. Maybe we ain't believing it enough. Amen? But it's the same authority that they had. We have today as a body of believers. Did you know the healing of this lame man was all about timing? Timing is essential. Timing is important. God does everything in his time. And, and it's, it's always right on time. He's never too early. He's never too late. But he's always on time. He knows about timing. Amen? And, and what we have to understand is that when the timing is right, when your time comes, you will get the blessing that God promised you, and no devil in hell will keep it from you. Why? Because the time is right. But what happens while we're waiting for the time to be right, we give up and we quit. We miss our blessing. And I'll guarantee you, half the time you're right on the very threshold of your breakthrough, on the very threshold of your miracle, of your healing, and you quit and give up. Amen. There's people sitting in their house right now. I won't name you because I'll embarrass you, but you're about ready to give up yourself. And your breakthrough, your healing, is right around the next corner. And, and when it's your time, your blessing will not only come, uh, but it, it, it's not going to come early, not going to come late. It's going to come in your time, the right time. And, and, and like I said, sometimes we just give up too soon. That lame man was brought to that gate daily. Say daily. daily. Not, uh, I mean... He laid there begging alms daily. Say daily. daily. Now let me show you why timing is so important. In Luke chapter 19, verse 45, it says, And he, Jesus, went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. 
In other words, Jesus said, when you come into this house, you should feel an atmosphere of prayer. You should feel an atmosphere of the presence of God in this house. This is my house. But you turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. Why? Because they were selling uh, deficient sacrifices to people to make. And the sacrifices weren't getting put on the altar. They were going back to the stable and then resold and everything. And so Jesus made a cord of whips. For those of you that think Jesus was a wimp or he was passive, he made a cord of whips and he overturned the money changers, the cash registers, whatever we would call them in today's vernacular, and he drove them all out with that whip. I don't know how many there were, but there were enough there to whip him if they wanted to. But he ran them all out. They turned his father's house into a den of thieves. And verse 47 says, And he taught daily in the temple. Say daily. From the time Jesus cast those thieves and robbers out of the temple and turned over those money changers until the time he was arrested, the Bible says he taught daily in the temple. So what's that got to do with the price of milk in China? Think about it a minute. If he taught daily in the temple, the lame man was laid daily at the gate of the temple. Who passed that lame man on a daily basis? Jesus. Jesus passed that man on a daily basis. And that man probably asked Jesus for alms. That's why I think he knew Jesus. Because he said, who was that? That was Jesus. Who was all them guys found? That was his disciples. So he knew of Jesus. And I'm sure they told him a story or two about how the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment and got healed. How he laid hands on the blind man and he got healed. How he cast the devils out of uh, the, the demoniac. And all these different stories. They probably told him about Jesus. And, you know, faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word. So they're hearing about Jesus. or He's hearing about Jesus. And I think faith is coming. A little bit of faith is coming. But he laid there daily. Jesus passed him and Jesus never healed him. Why? Timing. Timing. If Jesus would have healed him, it would have probably been one healing. Because there was no gospel to preach. Jesus hadn't died and was resurrected yet. There was no authority. There was no power in his name yet. And that's why he said, you know, uh, the works that I do shall you do also because I go to the Father. Well, until he went to the Father, they didn't do a whole lot of works. Yeah, he sent the 70 out and the disciples did some works like that. Got people healed, cast out devils and things like that. But not on the magnitude of this man's healing. So Jesus said, I'm going to save you, buddy. It's hard for me to walk past you every day because I have so much compassion and love in me. I can't, it's all I can do to keep from laying hands on you and healing you. But I'm saving you for another time because there's going to be glory given to God when we get you healed. And so he passed them every day. But when the time was right and Peter and John showed up at that temple with the authority of that name, he got his blessing. That's why I say when it's your time, no devil in hell will stop your blessing from coming. Just hang on. Wait. It's coming. Sometimes we think God doesn't want to move for us, and 
Sometimes we think God doesn't want to answer our prayer, and sometimes we think God doesn't want to give us that breakthrough or that miracle, and sometimes we think God doesn't want to make a way where there seems to be no way, but if we just wait, if we just keep the faith, if we just hang in there a little longer, it's going to come. Hallelujah. Don't quit. Don't give up. Maybe God has something bigger planned. Maybe he's waiting for the right time because someone else is going to get blessed with your blessing. They're going to catch an overflow blessing from your blessing. They're going to see your miracle and they're going to know that God is real. And they're going to say, praise God. I used to know Patty Wack before he got saved. He's definitely changed. Something is different about Patty Wack. And they're going to glorify God. Hallelujah. And you'll find all through the book of Acts where the apostles and the disciples use this authority in the name of Jesus. And we should as well because uh, this is not a story in history. We're living in the book of Acts. The church was born in the book of Acts. And we entered into the church age and we're going to continue in this age until the rapture of the church. So we're still writing the book of Acts. We're still in the book of Acts. We should be acting like the disciples did in the book of Acts. We should be doing the same things they did, seeing the same healings, the same miracles, the same deliverances that they did, because we're just a continuation of the book of Acts. We're still in the church age here. Where is that authority gone? Where is all these healings and miracles gone? Through unbelief, through doubt, through poor lying false doctrine from false prophets and false teachers and, and planting in your ear that oh, all those things passed away with the apostles and they passed away with uh, the disciples. And when the, when the uh, chapter, last chapter of Acts closed, that was it. No more miracles, no more gifts of the Spirit, no more talking in tongues, no more. Uh-uh. That's a lie from the pit of hell, but... Uh, a, a large portion of the church bought that lie. We ain't bought it. Hallelujah. We believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that God is the Lord and he changes not. And if he was healing back then, he's healing today. If he was casting out devils then, he's casting out devils today. If he was blessing and prospering and protecting people, then he's doing it today. Hallelujah. God hasn't changed either. The same things he loved and hated in the Old Testament, he loves and hates in the New Testament. He don't change. If sin was sin in the Old Testament, sin is sin in the New Testament. We're still in the book of Acts. Hallelujah. Let me show you something unusual and yet amazing. I mentioned this once before, and I said I'd probably get into it at a later time. This is that later time. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. It says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Who does that sound like? Sounds like the man at the gate called Beautiful. But we know he got healed already. This ain't the same man. Same scenario, though. The same heard Paul speak. So he's in a crowd. Paul is preaching. 
And then it says that who steadfastly beholding him, Paul is steadfastly beholding him. Uh, Paul's eyes were drawn to the man, locked on the man. He's steadfastly beholding him and perceiving, perceiving that he had faith to be healed. He didn't know it. He perceived it. In other words, the still small voice directed his eyes to that man and said he has faith to be healed. The crippled man, never walked, was crippled from his birth. So Paul said, with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And the man leaped up and walked. Didn't say in the name of Jesus. He demanded him to stand up on his feet and walk and didn't say in the name of Jesus. Almost sounds like what Peter did, except Peter used the name. Paul didn't say in the name of Jesus. And maybe he didn't, but the man still got healed. How is that possible? We have to do everything in the name of Jesus. Well, just because you didn't say in the name of Jesus doesn't mean you didn't do it in the name of Jesus. And this is what I told you before. Uh, some of these disciples, I know Paul and Peter got to that place where they were bearing the name of Jesus. When the devil seen them and the devil and, and people seen them, they seen Jesus. That's how much they identified with Jesus. That's how much they got to the place where by doing the word and obeying the commandments and doing the things that Jesus did when the devil seen them, he knew he was in trouble because he seen Jesus. And so he didn't have to say in the name of Jesus. He was bearing the name of Jesus. And he said, stand up on your, upright on your feet and be healed. The man was hearing. Uh, Paul was speaking. The man was hearing. Faith was coming. Paul locked his eyes on him, perceived that the man had faith to be healed, and he commanded him to stand up and be, be healed. So what healed him? The man's faith healed him. The man had faith to be healed. Paul recognized it and told him how to exercise it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil should be able to see Jesus in our life. At least a little bit. People should be able to see Jesus in our life. They shouldn't know you're a Christian because you've got a cross with a chain hanging from your visor or hanging from your mirror in the car because you have a St. Christopher's uh, statue on your dashboard uh, because you wear a Jesus T-shirt. They should know you're a Christian by your lifestyle and by the way you talk and walk and look. Amen. We're to bear that name, not just use it. We're to be a part of that name. We're to look more like Jesus every day. That's what a Christian is, Christ-like. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be Christ-like. Paul preached Jesus so much that when it came time for a miracle, he didn't have to say in the name of Jesus because he was bearing the name of Jesus. I believe Peter bore the name of Jesus just like Paul did. He got to the place where he did. Peter had some rough edges, but they got smoothed out. Uh, in Acts 15, the Bible said Peter would just pass by people and his shadow would heal them. Even his shadow bore the name of Jesus. These men didn't have to say it all the time. 
And I'm sure they did. I'm sure they used it just like Peter did with the man at the gate. Uh, but they were bearing that name. The devil never questioned their authority. We may not be there yet, but until we are, Jesus gave us the authority to speak his name. He said, whatever we ask or demand in his name, he will do it. Now, here's the difference. When we're dealing with the devil and the things of the devil, sickness and disease and poverty and all the things that the devil brought into the world, we demand things from him. We demand him to stop. We demand him to loose. We demand him to let go. But when it comes to prayer, we ask the Father respectfully and honorably. And we ask him in the name of Jesus. So that's, you know, uh, this is a couple examples of how people can get healed uh, by demanding things. Sometimes we have to recognize, is it it a physical illness? Do they need physical help? Do they need um, medical help? Or is this a spiritual problem? They need a devil cast out or a devil rebuked or a devil demanded to leave or let go. And then we have to determine what course we're going to take. But either way, we can also be healed by asking the Father in Jesus' name. If something's hurting you, ask God. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to deliver you. Ask God to touch you. And ask him in Jesus' name, and God will do it. It takes faith. We have to, everything in the kingdom of God requires faith. So we can demand that the devil take his hands off of our children. Pastor Ed and I did that all their life growing up. We can demand he takes his hands off of our bodies. If you're in sickness and disease, the devil's the one who put it there. Demand that he take it back. Uh, We can demand sickness, disease, and pain to leave our body. We can demand he take his hands off our finances, take his hands off of our property in Jesus' name, and he has to obey. And if you got enough faith to demand it and believe that it has to happen, it will happen. James 5, 14 and 15. There are some other methods of healing in the Bible, and I want to do just a brief flyover on some of them, and then I'm going to land on one, and we'll close with the one that I land on. Is that all right? James 5, 14 and 15. James says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, James is talking to the church here. And if you look at this up in different translations and then even look at some of the words in the Greek in the concordance and look at the original meaning of the words in the original language, you will get the impression here that he is asking, is any sick among you in such a way that he's amazed that there was sick among the church? He's surprised that there's sick among you. But he recognized that there was and he said, if there is, let Let him call upon the elders of the church. So that's why I know he's talking to the church here. Let them anoint his head with oil and pray the the prayer of faith over him, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. So uh, in verse 15, it says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. 
And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. I'm telling you, the, the elders in the church, the pastors, the, the deacons, the ministers, the co-pastors, the assistant ministers, they have a level of authority that the lay person doesn't have, that the average believer doesn't have. And this is a tremendous amount of authority here. We've prayed this prayer over unconscious people in the hospital that were dying, and we, we declared and decreed that that prayer we prayed over them would heal them and uh, save them. We didn't know if they were saved or not. And you know, uh, now some of them never left the hospital, I have to be honest with you, but that doesn't mean they didn't get healed. Sometimes death is the ultimate healing. That's the end of all their sickness, disease, and problems. And, uh, we just have a hard time accepting that, but sometimes uh, the Lord did save him. The Lord did heal him. We have to believe that because that man was, never regained consciousness to say the sinner's prayer or confess the Lord as his Savior. So we held on to this passage of Scripture, and the prayer of faith, or the prayer that's prayed in faith, shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, maybe not in the natural. He raised him up to heaven. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. That's what we believe for that person. And we believe uh, he never did regain consciousness, and he did die in that hospital bed. But we just believe he went to heaven. I believe we're going to see him when we get to heaven as a result of that prayer that we prayed. Then in Matthew 18, 18 through 20, it says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now this is another measure of authority that the believer has. Uh, and the accurate translation here is that whatever is declared unlawful in heaven, you can declare unlawful on the earth. Whatever is declared lawful in heaven, you can declare lawful on the earth as a believer. So I know sickness and disease is unlawful in heaven. Poverty is unlawful in heaven. And so I can declare it to be unlawful here. Take that sickness and disease out of my body because it's unlawful. It's not lawful in heaven and it's not lawful here. You take it in Jesus' name. And he's got to take that off of you. And, and you know, Healing is lawful in heaven, therefore I declare it to be lawful here. You not only take that sickness and disease out of me, but healing is going to come in and drive it out and affect the healing and the cure in me. That's the kind of authority we have to exercise and demand. That's another way to get healed. And then he says in verse 19, again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. So here we're asking in Jesus' name, but who's going to do the doing? The Father in heaven. But he says, if any two on earth agree as touching anything that they should ask. Anything. So Shannon and uh, Brother Daryl are here on the earth, right? Most of the time. But they're here on the earth. So that means that they can agree and ask for something of the Father, and he'll do it for him. Of course, it's got to be scriptural. It's got to be in the Word. It can't be some wacky, crazy, off-the-wall thing. You know, we agree we're going to get on the next space shuttle and go to whatever. 
he, pro he pro probably won't do that. But if we can agree with something that is in the Word, something that's in His will, like healing, uh, there's more power in agreement. That's why the devil hates marriage. Because marriage uh, makes you, uh, puts you in agreement with your spouse. Your husband and wives can pray together and get in agreement. And the devil knows that's more powerful than you standing alone. And so you can get healed by agreeing. Two of you agreeing. Again, you have to be on earth. And then in verse 20 it says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we're gathered here today. Jesus is in the midst of us. I don't see him. I don't feel him. But he says he is. So what's it take to believe that he is? Faith. I believe he's here. I believe he's here in person. In the spirit. Why? Because he said he'd be. Uh, another way to get healed is by one of the nine gifts of the spirit. The spirit of, or the gifts of healings. You can get healed by the gifts. What's interesting about that is because it's a gift, it's given with no strings attached. That means people get healed by this gift without even having any faith. Could be in sin. And the gift of the Spirit heals them. No obligation to. If he was obligated, it wouldn't be a gift. So it's a gift. So he can give it to whoever, whoever he wants. It's as the Spirit wills. He can give it to whoever he wants. And they'll get healed without requiring any faith, didn't raise their hands, didn't say a prayer, just sitting there and got healed. Why? Because it's a gift. And here's, we've we done all these flyovers, now here's where I want to land. Now Mark 16, uh, verses 16 through 18. And he, Jesus, said unto them, getting ready to ascend into heaven again, all that power and authority have been transferred to the church. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or all creation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. It has nothing to do with the baptism that gets you saved. It has all to do with the believing. And verse 17 says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. And I like this one translation says, these signs will follow the believing ones. Are you a believing one? Well, these signs should follow you. And he starts off by saying, In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. He's talking about that demanding authority again. We're not going to ask the devil to leave somebody. We're going to demand that he leaves. They shall take up serpents. Uh, Another thing, serpents is uh, another word for demonic activity or devils or demons. Uh, it's saying that we'll have authority over them. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's where I want to land is they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Who shall lay hands on the sick? The believing ones. The believers shall lay hands on the sick. They are authorized to lay hands on the sick 
and they shall recover. Didn't say they might recover, say maybe, it said they shall recover. But again, what's it require? Faith. And this is the method of healing I want to spend a few minutes on. And I believe it's the most prominent form of healing in the entire New Testament. Uh, the laying on of hands. Jesus said that the believing ones will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Keep that in mind. And uh, the reason I believe it's the most prominent one is because it's the most widely used one. And it's not restricted just to special ministries like the fivefold ministries, pastors, evangelists, teachers, and so on. It's, it's for anyone who can believe they can lay hands on the sick. You can lay hands on your spouse. You can lay hands on your children. You can lay hands on your uncle and aunt and everybody in between. You can lay hands on your friends. You can lay hands on the little lady that is bent over in the shopping line at Kroger in front of you. You can lay hands on her. What's the requirement? Being a believer. So anybody can operate in this. You can lay hands on yourself. Did it this morning. My right hand to God. Had to lay hands on myself this morning and straighten a few things out. All methods of healing except the gifts of healing must be applied in faith in order to manifest. Has to be applied in faith. Gift of healing just happens. Don't need any faith for it. With the laying on of hands, the faith of two people are involved. The one that's laying on the hands and the one that's receiving the healing. Both their faith is required. It's not a gift. I can't impart that gift of healing into you. There's also an element of agreement in laying on of hands. If we can come together in agreement, I want to see you get healed and you want to get healed, there's power in that agreement. And that will help us get healed. Remember, if any two on earth shall touch anything there, we're asking for healing. Now, if you were to come up here and, and have hands laid on you just because you were curious and you just wanted to see if this stuff works, it's probably not going to work for you. If you come up here to get hands laid on you for healing, you got to believe that it's going to work before you get here. you got to believe that I'm anointed enough to lay hands on you and transmit uh, the anointing into you for healing. If you don't believe that, then you're going to have to stay in your seat. It's not going to work for you. And, of course, when that happens, the church and the ministry and God gets a black eye because you go back to your seat and say, see, that stuff don't work. It might have worked for the apostles back in the Old Testament, but it don't work nowadays. And you spread a poison because of it. Every believer, like I said, can lay hands on the sick, but someone can also have a special anointing in the healing ministry and get better results or more results than the average believer does. Uh, and they can be used by God in a mighty way because they've given themselves over to that. They've placed their, all their focus and study is on healing. Uh, they know all the healing scriptures. They have a heart to see people healed and walk upright, healed uh, and whole. And, and so God says, I could use that person more than the average believer. And so they have a special anointing for the ministry of healing, and they get better results because of it. Papa Hagen was like that. Kenneth E. Hagen was like that. He's since then gone to be with the Lord. 
been there several years now, but he had a high success rate when laying hands on people for healing. And he had a special healing anointing that the average believer just didn't have. And uh, when people come up in his healing lines, he laid hands on them. He always got good results. Not everybody got healed, but more got healed than didn't get healed. A high percentage of them. So we not only lay hands on the sick as a point of contact or because Jesus told us to lay hands on the sick. Uh, but we lay hands on the sick to release our faith in the anointing. And we also lay hands on the sick in obedience to scriptural and spiritual laws concerning the laying on of hands as a point of not only contact, but a point of transfer. Something is transferred in the laying out of hands. And we see that law, for example, through the entire Bible, starting in the Old Testament with the high priest, he would lay hands on the head of an acceptable sacrifice, a bull or a goat, and he would say a prayer over that animal that was going to be sacrificed with his hands on its head, and in that prayer and through the laying on of hands, he would transfer the sins of Israel into that animal, and then they would slaughter that animal, and it was a picture of Christ and the cross because that's what happened to Christ. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, uh, not the Garden of Eden, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Christ, Roman soldiers laid hands on him, and the priesthood laid hands on him. The church and the world, the Christian and the Gentile. And when they did, he absorbed the sins of the world into his body. And he went, as that animal did, as an acceptable sacrifice to the cross and nailed our sins to the cross. That's where the transfer took place on Jesus. And so Israel laid hands on the Levites to anoint them to the priesthood. Moses laid his hands on Joshua to transfer his authority into him before he went to heaven. The prophets would anoint kings with the laying on of hands. Jesus used the laying on of hands throughout his entire healing ministry. He laid hands on a lot of people. Uh, and then, of course, he instructed us to do the same thing in Mark chapter 16. So the contact made with the hands transmits God's anointing and God's healing power into the individual. And, you know, the New Testament tells lay, lay hands hastily on no man. You got to know who's laying hands on you. If you don't trust me, don't come up here to get hands laid on you. Because uh, they say don't, don't let anybody lay hands on you hastily because you don't know what they're going to transfer into you. And that's why Pastor and I over the years have always been careful of who we have minister in this church and who lays hands on you. We have to know them. We don't just grab somebody out of the ministry or off the ministry hotline and have them come in and minister to you. And there was a couple that we couldn't trust, and we were binding uh, and pleading the blood while they were ministering after we realized that, you know, something's not right here, you know. And uh, they never were able to come back here after that. But you have to be careful who you allow to lay hands on you because they could transfer something to you. But anyway, uh, the contact made with the hands transmits God's anointing healing power into an individual. Uh, and it drives a sickness out, and it affects a healing and a cure. 
And so uh, I can remember the first meeting of Brother Hagen's that we ever went to. This is Papa Hagen. This is years ago, early 80s. He came to Chicago to this big hotel uh, right by the uh, O'Hare Field, the, the big airport. Uh, it had a giant hotel there with a big ballroom. And uh, Pastor Ed and I and Ann and George lived not too far from them on the other side of the airport. So we had knew of Brother Hagen. I listened to his tapes back at that time, cassette tapes and stuff, but never had went to one of his meetings. So uh, he was preaching all over the United States and other places in the world, and he come close enough that we could go to one of his meetings. So uh, me and Pastor Ed and Ann and George decided we would go. And uh, so we went to his meeting, and I mean, it was, the atmosphere was electric. I mean, you just, it just felt different. It was like stepping into a little bit of heaven. And I'm sure it's because it was well prayed over and anointed and all of that. But uh, he preached on healing. We were in the, in the auditorium and uh, seated. He preached on healing. And then afterwards, he had a healing line where he would personally go down the line and lay hands on everybody. Well, he would have so many people. And they were really well organized because they would issue healing cards. And it would have a number on it. And uh, they would put you in groups, and when they called your group up with your number, then that's when you went up and got into the healing line. And they had like 25 or 30 ushers at least that were catching people as he was laying hands on them. And uh, it was a powerful anointing, and uh, people were falling out in the spirit, and he wasn't pushing anybody. There were no courtesy falls. I mean, I don't even think I knew what a courtesy fall was back then, but that's when... Uh, a preacher lays hands on you and nothing goes into you, but you just fall because you don't want to hurt his feeling. Well, there was none of that. These people were going out and the ushers would pick them up, try to get them on their feet. And some of them they'd have to drag to the side. One of those was Pastor Ed. She was so out of it. I mean, her eyes were glazed over. She was like a rag doll. We had to carry her out of there. I don't know. It was hours before she was fully back to her faculties and knew what was going on around her. I mean, that's how powerful the anointing was. But she got healed that day. And, uh, well, I can tell you more stories about it, but he was the real deal. He was, he was the type of minister that I believe bore the name of Jesus. Now, he always used the name of Jesus, but I'm telling you, you could see Jesus in him. You could hear Jesus when he talked. You know, he just that type of man. He was like a Paul or, or a Peter. But anyway, enough talking. Uh, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing the word. And uh, we heard the word today, so what should come? Faith. What was the word about today? Healing. So what should faith come for? Healing. You should be built up in your faith for healing and then the bible also says that god watches over his word to perform it what word the healing word that you heard today god is here via the holy ghost to watch over his word and perform it he's going to perform the word that we preach today and that's healing so i know uh these are not good times to lay hands on people and transfer things because there's certain things we don't want to transfer but I really feel uh, 
and anointing to lay hands on people for healing. Now, I just want to say this. If you, have a, if you have a condition in your body, if you're sick in your body, something's wrong with your body, I want you to come up here, and I want you to come up here in faith, faith of what you heard today. And I'm going to lay hands on you with all the faith that I can muster, uh, muster up as a minister, and I'm going to believe on my end that you're going to receive healing. And then you have to believe that you are as well. And I believe you're going to walk away from here different today. Now, I'm not just talking about physical healing. There's people that need mental and emotional healing as well. Because you could have, I don't want to call you sick in the head or anything like that, but you could have unusual things happening to you where you just, you know, you don't have any peace. Uh, you're always in a tizzy or twitabated about something and you just don't have any peace in your life. That requires healing. Same thing with emotions. There's things that you can't get over and, uh, emotionally, you know. And uh, uh, I got to be careful, but I had a Gwenny moment this morning, you know. And uh, so emotionally, I'm still dealing with things. And, and that was one of the things that I had to lay hands on myself for. Uh, Otherwise, you can get into what's called, uh, you know, grief is good. Uh, the Bible says we grieve, but not like the world. So uh, God has given us the ability to grieve because it helps us get through something, helps us get over something. But then there's a bad grief that becomes a spirit. And it's a wrong kind of grief because it takes you down. It's, it gets worse and worse. Uh, you never get over it. You just keep going down, down, down until you're just like a zombie. You just, you know, you never get past it. You never get healed over the thing that caused that grief. But that's something that needs to be healed in people as well. So it's not just physical healing. But if I spoke to you today, enough is enough. If I spoke to you today, you got a need in your body. I want you to come up here. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.